0: My name is David Zanatos, and Plan A is you listening to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Of course, Plan B is my own competing podcast. As for Plan C, Owen, begin acquisition of all assets related to the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Remember, if you pay a man enough, to will walk barefoot into hell. The story is told, though who can say if it be true? Of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan. Of the animated series that told their story.
1: It is an age of darkness, superstition, and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of
0: gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a gargoyles podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to Voices from the Erie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, the owner of the website that powers the program, spidey-dude.com, and I am the executive producer of the network that powers the program, the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Before we get started, though, I wanted to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash Network, Greg, Jurgen, Vinkman, Scott, Kaylee, and Phoenician. Thank you for your support. And if you want to get the show, this show earlier, check it out there, as well as other fine perks that you'll get whenever you become a Patreon subscriber. There will be some exclusive content that's only for Patreon subscribers coming to you very soon. But before I turn it over to our hosts, I want to encourage you to check out our other fine programs, such as Spidey Dude Experience, ASM Classics, Make Mine Mayday, Boga Rider Variety Hour, The Salby Sima Era Podcast, Clone Saga Chronicles, and a Spectacular Radio, a Spectacular Spider-Man-related show. Let's start a few familiar names to the program. Please follow the network on Twitter, at SpideyDudeRadio, and this show, at FromEerie, and feel free to send them feedback at gargoylesvoices at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast catcher such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, Amazon Audible, as well as google podcasts it helps us raise our vis- visibility and like share and subscribe for more at SpideyDude dude network youtube.com slash spidey dude network also follow us on facebook and twitter as i mentioned the twitter threads but also follow us on facebook facebook.com slash spidey dude network as well as instagram if you like instagram instagram.com slash spidey network with that out of the way, it's absolutely my pleasure to introduce the hosts of our show, Jennifer L. Anderson and Greg Bishansky.
1: Welcome to another episode of Voices from the Erie Gargoyles fans. I'm your co-host, Greg Bishansky, and joining me as usual is my partner in crime, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello, everyone. And rejoining us again, as usual, is the co-creator and co-producer of the first two seasons of Gargoyles and the writer of the SLG comic book, Mr. Greg Weisman. Hi. And we are very pleased to introduce as well an accomplished actor, an accomplished director, accomplished statesman, among many other things, the voice of David Zanatos himself, Mr. Jonathan Frakes.
0: Hello. Is this Is this the podcast?
1: Yes, it is.
3: This is definitely the yes. podcast. Is this the, uh, is this the Spidey Dude Radio
0: Network?
1: Yes, it is. We, they host us.
0: Yeah. Voices from Voices from Erie? Yes, it is. Oh. I'm sorry. We're going to have to... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're going to have to reschedule. Hello? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you glad I had coffee this morning?
1: (laughs) Yes, we are.
3: How much coffee did you have this morning is what I'm thinking.
0: (laughs) I had three cups, okay? Don't judge me, Jennifer.
1: (laughs) Before we dive into our discussion, we do have a little bit of news. This is Nightwatch. Reporting from New York, Travis Marshall. Tonight, more on the news that has rocked Manhattan, if not the world. On the neck of front... Demona is popping up in stores, and Bronx is is expected to pop up shortly afterwards, but by the time this goes out, they should be widely available. Hudson is up for pre-order right now. The trio have been revealed, if not officially announced and solicited yet. They just teased Elisa Mazza for International Women's Day, and considering who's here, even if he wasn't here, we're hoping they show us off David Xanatos, soon whether he's in his business suit or his power suit. Wow. And Jonathan. I didn't, even,
3: I didn't even I didn't even think about him being in the Steel Clan suit. Like that didn't even cross my mind. That would be freaking amazing. Well, you know what? It's an easy yeah, retool. Would.
1: Yeah, it's an easy retool to a Steel Clan robot so they can sell the mold twice.
3: Oh my gosh, this, this uh, I'm such I'm so excited that we're getting
1: these these figures. It's, I'm such a nerd. I'm afraid we're out of time. This has been Nightwatch... Sleep well. And Jonathan, we would like to get to know you a bit. How did you become an actor? Oh, my God. I went to
0: Penn State (laughs) as a uh, psychiatry major, thinking I wanted to be a shrink. And while I was there... How'd that work out? (laughs) Well, ironically, as a director, it has been very helpful. (laughs) I signed up to uh, Usher a play. The play was called Indians. And uh, the director of the play was walking down the hall of the State Theater Building and he said, would you like to be in this show? I said, well, sure. He said, well, you just have to sit on the floor and play a drum. I said, sign me up. So I uh, went to rehearsals. It was Arthur Coppett was the name of the playwright who wrote uh, Oh Dad, Poor Dad, Mama's Hung You in the Closet and I Feel So Bad one of my favorite titles. So it was was a theater company from New York. It was called the New American Theater or the Penn State. It It was an equity theater company of actors who had decided to take a summer in the beautiful center of Pennsylvania. So as I was observing these actors from New York and Washington, there were people from Actors Theater Louisville and from the Arena Stage in D.C., and it became increasingly clear to me This job, should I be able to do it for a living, was a much better job for three reasons. He rehearsed, he didn't have to go to work till like 10 or 11 in the morning. He rehearsed the play until dinner time, had a break, went to the theater at seven o'clock, performed whatever play you were in rep doing that you weren't rehearsing. Curtain goes down at about 10 or 10.30. You go to the bar, you close the bar, leave with whomever you're leaving with, go to sleep, come back, rinse and repeat. <laughs> I thought, is this really the job of a professional actor? Turns out it wasn't quite that easy, but it sure was attractive to a 17-year-old.
3: I can imagine, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially
0: the illegal drinking.
3: Uh, the, oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> Sneaking into a bar. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So how did you take that and get into voice acting?
0: Greg Wiseman called me and asked me if I wanted to audition for uh, or somebody called me Jamie someone someone who had a crush yeah, on the uh, Star Trek next gen actors
3: I was totally Jamie had to be Jamie
0: yeah and uh, <laughs> I, i've been I had been trying it's a very hard part of the business to crack I mean we had a lot of people on our show um. Fagerbachi, for instance, and, and Welker, who were, you know, pro voice actors and Keith David to a certain extent. But you think of him as, I guess, as a, as a hyphenate. Jeff Bennett's another example. Guys that do it all the time and make a great living at it. I wanted to be one of those guys. And, uh, Gargoyles was my first foray into a sort of recurring part. And it has been, uh, canceled too soon. Right, Greg.
1: That
4: is my opinion. Yes.
0: And mine. Yeah, we. I think we. And mine.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't think any of us were. were ready to let it go. Oh wait. We haven't. Okay.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and fast forward. Here we are. Thirty years later.
3: Okay. You didn't have to put a number on that. <laughs> okay,
0: okay. Thirty-five.
3: Ouch. <laughs>
1: We actually haven't discussed it yet, but you mentioned Jamie and his crush on the cast of Star Trek Next Generation. I think we should discuss the abundance of Star Trek actors on Gargoyles. How did that come about?
0: Well, I think it started with Marina Thirties and myself, and then I believe my, my theory has always been that when we you know we put Dorn on there, we, you guys put Dorn and Avery and uh, Kate and etc. Brent I think that Disney realized there was some bump in the crossover with Paramount and the next-gen actors or the Star Trek actors that that uh, at least it didn't hurt. And Jamie's affinity for all of us and uh, uh, knowing... I
4: mean, it was time- n- more specific than that. Uh, I mean, it absolutely started with Marina and you. Um, and you guys uh, got your parts by doing fantastic audition
0: and there, uh, the others go go ahead i'm looking forward to this
4: <laughs> well i mean then you know week in week out we're recording right and so if we're at a record and you guys are in the booth right and jamie and i are in the control room and jamie's like you know we'd be on a break or something like that And jamie's like what are we who are we going to need for next week's episode I'm like, well, we've got Goliath's brother, Coldstone, so he needs to be a big guy with chops that can, you know, yeah. Yeah. Hold, hold on, you know, uh, be able to work against Keith, right? You know, and Keith has these big, deep chops, right? So it's like, well, who could we get? And, you know, I'm looking through the window, through the glass, and you and Marina are sitting there, and I'm like, well, what about Michael Dorff? Exactly. So when we started... It was just the fact that you guys literally were sitting there. You were constantly reminding Jamie and I, of this great ensemble that you guys had. So we got Brent and Lavar, and um, and yeah, later. Uh, oh, we got Michelle Nichols to play Elisa's uh, mom. Um, Avery, uh, Avery so was at on first the first show. W- yeah, Avery at was. First it wasn't Meanie? like a plan. Um, right. But at some point...
0: So you're the guilty party like, then,
4: correct? Right. Yeah. Me and Jamie uh, together combined. But so it was just sort of like, at some point, it was like, hey, let's... We got uh, someone from Next Gen. We got someone from the original series. Let's get someone from uh, uh, Deep Space Nine. And we would never have cast someone who was wrong for the role. But the whole operation at it- Paramount, the whole Trek franchise, had all these amazing actors in it. So we could always find something. And then, yeah, I think at some point we realized, oh, this is this is good. You know, it doesn't hurt on the publicity side of things either. Um, right. So, again, I mean, we would never cast someone just for publicity or just to get another Star Trek actor. But... I mean, it was just a wealth of people, and I also think that you and Marina helped us out, like saying the Dorn and saying the Lavar and and Brent and saying it's a decent gig, you know. Um, I mean, for well, Brent and it was it was a good Dorn, for day example, day. it's like you walk in the door, there's no four hours of Klingon makeup, um, right. You know, no costumes. You don't even have to memorize the script because you can have it right in front of you. Um, and we're all recording together, at least in those days. Uh, and it was kind of fun. Um, and, you know, it's not big money, but it's decent money for two to three hours of work, I think. Um, and so you guys sort of talked it up, I feel like. Uh, and we got pretty much everyone we asked for
0: it was a great gig. It was my- all kidding aside, and I miss I miss sitting in the semicircle and having, uh, you know, a lot of the cast there. I've done uh, yeah, a number of shows, there, and you know, they try to get people at the same time, and it's always more fun when you do. But uh, that was that was great. Plus, the, there were free donuts. Oh
3: yeah, <laughs> the free donuts is definitely a seller. <laughs> so so. You and Marina had to work hard for your parts and then they just gave the parts to, willy-nilly to anyone else that you worked with. <laughs> that's
4: what I'm that's hearing. Exactly how I heard
0: it. That's exactly <laughs> how I heard
4: it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of the way things work generally in animation is that the executives, you know, above our heads want choices when it comes to the regulars on, in the cast. So we have to hold all these auditions and that kind of stuff most of the time. And, but on an ongoing show, there just isn't time to hold auditions for every single part, that new character that comes in as a guest or, or, or even as a recurring. And so that usually just becomes a casting conversation between the casting director slash voice director, which was Jamie for us, and, uh, and the producers, which was Frank Parr and myself. Um, and you know, lots of other people can throw in their two cents, but it usually came down to Jamie and I, for the most part, um, sometimes Frank, but Frank didn't come to every record, just some of them. So it, uh, it tended to be Jamie and I.
3: Cool. And okay. So, so now you've got the part of David Xanatos. How do you go about developing that character? How did you become David Xanatos?
0: Well, I thought it was quite prescient that the character drawing that I was shown, either while auditioning or after getting the gig, did not look unlike uh, Commander Riker from Star Trek.
1: Point.
3: (laughs) If Commander Riker had a ponytail.
0: If he had a ponytail, but a different shape to his decorative beard. But it was... um, (laughs) I certainly wasn't do, putting on any kind of a uh, voice and the, and the, the character was in the writing. The, the, his point of view was, was very, very clear in the, in the writing and Jamie and I, and, I remember, and Greg, no, Jamie and Greg were in the room to, uh, to keep us on the track. You know, it was a, it was a great day. It was because it was so, so clear cut. And because the talent in the room, you raised your game and your concentration and your focus. And it was, and it was my first time doing a, an animated show, so I really dug it. It was, it was. I was learning. I like to learn new things, and this was. It really was. I don't know. was it really thirty-five years ago, nineteen ninety-four. That's not that yeah, long ago. Twenty-five ish. Twenty-five years ago. Pushing on we still nearly
4: 30. as old as uh, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Jennifer was only two when she first watched the show. Uh,
0: clearly.
3: Absolutely. <laughs>
4: that was the problem. Um, the
0: show was on, as I recall, at four o'clock. And the show was too smart. I've said this ad infinitum at the uh, conventions and in interviews. The show was too <laughs> smart for the audience that Disney aimed it to at four. To use three prepositions. And I, I think because, because it was a... Uh, a heightened reality and because it had the fearlessness to quote Shakespeare and have a sense of irony and it was, uh, it was over certain kids ages heads and that's why it's stuck with and has a popularity with a kind of a, a gamer, a smart gamer fan is a crossover for the gargoyles fan, it seems to me. And a reader is a is a gargoyle's fan in my in my experience.
3: I think I think it definitely plays like kids like it because the creatures and the colors and stuff like that. But it definitely cat caught the attention of a lot of the parents of these kids. Yeah. Um, and of course, this is the beginning of the internet fandom kind of thing too, and that helped uh, really spin it and get it attention as well.
0: Well, SpongeBob did the same thing. Yeah, quoting
4: Shakespeare and all that.
0: uh, (laughs) No, but but I I think (laughs) about sitting around as a parent, enjoying SpongeBob, and uh, the thing that I know the kids missed.
3: Yeah, because there was something there that you could laugh at, even Mm -hmm. though they went over their heads. Yeah, Yeah. it it definitely did.
4: I mean, there was a conscious attempt on our part to write on levels. Um, You know, in other words, you don't want to write stuff that the kids are – aware they're missing something you know like if they're feeling like this isn't for me then they're not going to want to tune in and we had to hit our target demo you know in order to stay on the air at all but then the idea was to write so that um there was stuff for you know older kids and and teenagers and college students and adults and i think to a large extent we succeeded I did have a question, though, because I've always suspected this, and I may be dead wrong, but I wanted confirmation one way or the other. So toward the end of Gargoyles, uh, they cloned, simultaneously more or less, uh, they cloned Will Riker, right? And he appeared on an episode of The Clone. Oh,
3: yes. Oh, yes. He appeared
4: on an episode of DS9, and the beard Tommy. was Tommy. shaved. Right. And the beard was shaved to look like Xanatos's beard, and I had this feeling, like as the clone, you were really playing Xanatos. Oh, <laughs> you were doing Xanatos as, as as Thomas Riker. Good. Yeah. And then you, there was also an episode, a, a, a weird episode of Wings, where I felt like you were also playing Xanatos. Um, oh my! What? You are really high.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You were like a wealthy industrialist. I'm going to
0: give you Thomas Riker, but I'm not going to give you that. uh, That was like a skirt chasing character in in wings from the 50s, that guy.
4: He was like a traveling salesman. (laughs) No, he was like a wealthy industrialist. That's why I thought it was Vanitas. Plus, the beard was again shaved in the. Xanatos fashion as opposed to the Will Riker fashion. But there was no ponytail, so I, you know, I might be high. Okay.
1: (laughs) And, uh, Greg, we talked about it very little in the past, but from behind the scenes, the development of Xanatos as a character, where he started and how he ended up? Oh, well, I mean, going way back to the beginning when it was a comedy show, it wasn't a drama, it
4: wasn't the show that you saw, um, Xanatos was, um, First off, he was named Xavier. We didn't have the name Xanatos yet, um, and he was more of a comic villain in the mode of Captain Hook uh, from Peter Pan. Um, and uh, that was a fun show, but it didn't sell. Uh, you know, and it was very different. I mean, all the like all the elements were there, all the pieces were there, but they all. Had a different feel to them. Um, again, it was all more blatantly comedic. Um, and so when we redeveloped the show as a drama, Xanatos, 1st off, got the name Xanatos, David Xanatos, um, and he became this very sort of suave, uh, sophisticated character. And I think a character that... Um, for the time at least, was really very different. You know, one of the things that I remember talking to Michael Reeves, the story editor and writer of the episode we're going to talk about shortly, I assume, um, was that I was really tired of villains who were petty. You know, these big villains who were incredibly petty or like their minions would fail to kill the heroes and they would kill their minions. And sort of like, well, but you keep failing to kill the heroes. It's clearly difficult to kill the heroes. So why are you taking it out on the, on the little guy? You know, um, and so we just, uh, I think Michael and I playing off each other, Zansos just became, uh, increasingly sophisticated. And when Jonathan came in and we now had his voice in our head, um, he, he just became this fascinating, character who who wasn't out for revenge who uh... who had his goals but they weren't about destroying the world or anything like that the world had served Xanatos very very well he was doing incredibly well in the world so he had no desire to destroy it um, or conquer it or anything like that he had certain goals one of them was immortality uh... Um, right. and and other things, and so he would work towards those goals, and he had so many goals that any specific episode, he probably was doing two or three things at once, and the gargoyles would triumph, Um, and we've talked about this before, in order to avoid what we call villain decay, which is that um, every time a villain shows up, inevitably, because, you know, the heroes win, and then at some point the audience stops feeling like the villain's effective. So one of the things we did to avoid that with Xanatos specifically is we'd have these tags at the end where it was revealed that, yeah, the Gargoyles won this thing, specific thing, but really Xanatos was about two or three other things, and he won all of those. And, um, nowadays they actually on TV tropes call that the Xanatos gambit, which I just love that they named the whole trope after him. Um, but A worthy back trope. then Michael and I, it is worthy uh, trope. And that was yeah. certainly the way back uh, then. Michael and I just called it the tag, you know, the Xanatos tag. Um, at the end of the show, we'd revealed that Xanatos had all these other things in mind. And, uh, and so yeah, he didn't find out the Gargoyle's home base, but uh, he'd get to that eventually. and in the meantime he proved six other things that he needed to prove.
0: tested his suit uh, so that, yes. uh, that we were going to or talk about uh, and revealed that, that, revealed that there was uh, that the suit worked and that his, he didn't. He had a lot going on. He was a public servant of sorts and a very public figure, a little bit like our boy on succession. But uh, he oozed charm and money and was not afraid to use both.
1: Anyway, uh, before we proceed into the episode, I do want to say on a personal note, I remember my reactions to this episode and the character where I finally finally cemented in my head who he reminded me of when we got to this. The Internet loves to say, and this is not my analysis – that he's an evil tony stark which i find to be a pretty superficial analysis myself but when i was watching the show way back in the day and maybe this is because i was pract- practically raised on greek mythology i recognized the greek origins of his name by the time this is over i was thinking this is a modern day evil odysseus
0: he could fly and did he uh, fly to the sun like Daedalus? <laughs>
3: Well,
1: Odysseus, but <laughs> from the I, Odyssey.
3: I never saw him as evil. Like, I, you know, like manipulative, like just flat out evil. Evil, I think, you know, like Maleficent, like that's their whole being. When you say evil, like I think he was just very self-serving and ran out of challenges for himself and kept trying to do one more thing, one up himself kind of ad nauseum.
4: I mean, we've we definitely talked about back in the day, him being not immoral, but amoral. Um, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And, and that I think is how we viewed him. I mean, the, I think the Tony Stark, Bruce Wayne thing, that might've been a little bit in, I mean, you know, I'm a comic book guy, so I, I'm not saying that there wasn't some awareness that we were casting an antagonist in a role that you usually give to a good guy. And that was part of the fun of the, the original pilot, which was that you think Xanatos is the ally of the gargoyles, but he's really just trying to use them. Um, but I think what's wonderful in this episode, and I just love Jonathan's read of these lines, but it's like when Goliath confronts Xanatos, and Xanatos is like waiting for him, is standing out on the castle in a trench coat, just waiting for the gargoyles to show up. because He knows they're gonna. Um, right. And then, you know, Goliath is just infuriated with this guy. And, and David is so calm, so chill and so charming. And, and when Goliath bends that lamppost and flies off and Go- David's reaction is like, you're taking this all too personally. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, also it's like, uh, Goliath it's, had a he'd had a rough show anyway because uh, Elisa had told him he'd become too public and like, shown himself too often. It was not a, it was not a good period for Goliath.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: I mean, the it's Samples inevitable. Is so smooth in that scene, he is just so smooth. It's just so cool to me. <laughs>
1: Another moment at the very start of the episode, which established him as different, is when he loses that judo match to Owen, and Owen offers pretend to lose, and Xantos threatens to fire him if he'd actually do that. I'm thinking there's so many minions who would placate their boss's ego, and there's a, I think it was John there's an issue of Superman, where Lex Luthor's sensei beats him in a martial arts match, and Lois Lane sees this and laughs, and because his ego is wounded, Lex has the guy killed.
4: Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing I was talking about, that I was just tired of that, you know? I just thought, like... I thought the
1: scene scene in the opening
0: was played with a another possible interpretation, which would have been that uh, he did have the shit kicked out of him, he did uh, serve him, and the next time, the guy was going to be toast, and and I'll take my punishment, and I'll go check deck here on my flip phone and uh, go on to my next meeting but um, thank you but that's the last time you will okay. beat me
3: yes yeah <laughs> you've shown you showed me I have a weakness I will correct that before the next match
4: yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly that's the vodka right. Shot too
4: right and it also there's an interesting bit there where you know, he's meeting with this emir, And by the way, back then we had no idea we were going to introduce Tony Shalhoub as the Amir. I mean, <laughs> it, at the time it was just like, you know, Michael Reeves threw out that line just to sort of indicate that, uh, Zantos meets with important people. And Zantos himself is so important that if the meeting's at two, uh, Zantos says, tell him to make it one, you know, yeah. because he's asserting his authority. Uh, yep. and, uh, I mean, this episode, among other things, is just chock full of stuff that we later said, oh, we should do something with that. We should create the Amir character and have him come on the show. You know, we should, um, do something with that. I of Odin. Uh, uh, that's a cool name. That's a cool looking thing. We also, should do something I mean, with that little, do that, <laughs> you know,
0: you gave the the I vote such gravitas in the presentation to the city, or to the you know, right, and that supercilious speech about wanting to share it with the world, and it was it, it was set up for something,
4: right? But I don't think we knew it then. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I just think you know part of the game for us uh, was to pay attention to the stuff that we wrote and go, okay, there's a hook there. I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but we've got to stick that. Up at some point, you know, uh, and then, there's tons of that mass. Loot, well, so. they
3: they men, men, mentioned the the research facility, and you know, like wh- who's going right. to be running that research upstate. facility upstate, you know? So
1: there's a lot of little things. Right. UFOs, yeah, Loch Ness, secret sort of societies.
4: <laughs> yeah, we ended up doing all that stuff that just gets thrown away here, and it seems. I think at the time, like, we had all these great genius plans. Um, look how far in advance they planned this stuff. And, and I'm not sure we did plan all that stuff so far in advance, but we uh, were at least uh, alert enough to pick up on that. And so, you know, we did lock maps later, and uh, we did UFOs later, and we did secret societies later, all those things that Matt sort of throws away. The idea of Matt Bluestone becoming, being sort of a conspiracy now, that was pure Michael Reed. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, Tom Wilson was so great as Matt. And Tom is one of the single funniest guys in, in a booth like ever. Oh, yeah. Um,
3: oh, the second I met him, he just destroyed me. Like, I thought I was one-upping him, and he just set me up and let me fall. It was hilarious. Nice.
4: Yeah. Tom is very funny in a booth. And then uh, I thought uh, the late, great Charles Hallihan's in this episode is Travis Marshall. And I love how he doesn't let, him. it's like uh, that was also very Michael Reeves, you know, the idea that um, this isn't going to be the young, sort of uh, telegenic news anchor who uh, is kind of fluffy and that kind of thing. This is the guy who introduces Xanatos in the Eye of Odin but then gets the dig in there, you know, maybe they'll forget about your prison record. You know, this is the hard-bitten, you know, journalist who's been raised up to anchor but still thinks like a news reporter, you know. And that was very Michael Reeves. And I thought uh, Charlie just did a terrific job uh, as Travis Marshall. This is his first episode, but he continues on as a recurring character for the next two seasons.
1: I remember thinking it was uh, interesting that Matt was introduced at that time as a conspiracy nut because this was also during the time the height of X Files popularity, where Fox Mulder, played by David Duchovny, was a household name. Yeah, especially in Jennifer's house. Especially <laughs> in my
3: house. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, my youngest, his name Fox. <laughs> And it was kind of like one of those, uh, we've got three kids. What are we going to name this fourth one? And, the, you know, it was like, well, let's name it after something we love.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, uh, I, I think that that was an influence probably on Matt was sort of let's have a, a Fox Mulder type in there who's into all this stuff and and believes in all these conspiracies. And then in our universe, will turn out that he's right.
3: He's right about all of them. I and mean, I, I really immediately loved Matt Bluestone. Like, he was frustrating to to Elisa, but he was he was definitely going to be a challenge for her to work around. And he was definitely going to be suspicious of anything she did. So I really enjoyed him from the get-go.
4: Yeah, we didn't want to make life too easy on Elisa. And we, we also just felt like cops should have partners. Like, every cop show I ever saw, they always had a partner. So how is Elisa running around with no partner? And the fact that we shot her a couple of episodes back <laughs> um, sort of indicated, well, they're going to assign her a partner. So what should that character be like? And then what's interesting also is that, you know, Elisa went through so much development and she had so many different last names uh, in the show. And almost all of Elisa's last names show up. Uh, in this episode, because she was Elisa Morgan at one point, and that became Officer Morgan, and she was Elisa Bluestone, and that became Matt Bluestone, and she was Elisa Chavez for a long time, and that became Maria Chavez, the captain. Um, and uh, so, like, all the various, Lat- nothing got wasted on this show. We came up with the last name, and we didn't
3: use it. We used it for somebody else. Recycling. Mm-hmm.
1: And you introduced the Eye of Odin, which I believe you once said came from the Sega Genesis game originally?
4: Uh, yeah, I think it did. Uh, yeah, I think... I'm trying to remember if they came up with it or we came up with it. I I mean, they definitely developed it before we did, without a doubt. Um, into something important, as opposed to just what it is in this episode, which is a MacGuffin. Um... And we used it slightly differently. And they had a different design, which I always thought, was, given the name of the thing, was better. Because um, their design was like an eye surrounded With, by raven, raven wings. wings. It felt very yeah. Norse. Yeah, it felt very Norse in the game, which makes sense, because it's the Eye of Odin, leader of the Norse gods. Um, and instead, our Eye of Odin on the show looked kind of Egyptian to me, which I always thought was sort of weird, but, you know, the realities of production were such that there wasn't time, you know. Um, they hadn't designed theirs yet, and, and even if they came up with it, they you know, by the time they designed it, we were too far down the road to, to change, and and um, it looks cool. I like the I odin on our show, but I just think that the one that the game developers designed looks more odin than ours that looks more egyptian but,
1: uh, or as guardian. yeah jennifer and i were discussing the animation in this episode earlier a stark contrast to enter Macbeth. this is one of the best looking episodes of the entire series
0: the action sequences in this episode are spectacular
3: truly like everything is so well choreographed everything you know all fits together so well. Everything from Goliath's tail swish and everything is just so well animated and so smooth.
0: And then the Tony Stark moment that you referenced earlier at the end, the reveal of the costume is, uh, I mean, there's there's no way that doesn't speak to the Avengers fans. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. Here, we're going to yeah. give him a big red out robotic outfit. But it came For first.
0: Him. First, did it not?
4: Well, no, I mean, Iron Man's from the 60s, um, but it came before the movies, if that's what you mean. Yeah, but uh, yeah. uh, but uh, I I think the thing I love about that moment, and again, all credit to Michael Reeves, who wrote the script, uh, is that, you know, you play through the episode and we've seen these um, Steel Clan robots before in the pilot, the pilot, the chrome ones, the silver and gray ones, um, and then there's this new red one. Um, but I don't think you have any reason to think Thanatos is in it until that last scene.
0: I you completely know? agree with you. I think that's one of the great, uh, great secrets in the episode, and very successfully executed.
4: Yeah, and you know, Michael even did that little thing with Lexington at the beginning of the episode, where he's playing with that radio-controlled car. And then Mm -hmm. later Lex says, Oh, I think remote controlled like my, uh, like my toy car. And so, uh, you know, the idea was just to lead the audience down this path. And in hindsight now seems obvious. Of course, Zantos is in the Red Sea. Of course he is. But, and so if you're seeing it for the second or third or eighth or like me, hundredth time, you know, uh, you know, it's easy to forget that I think for the audience seeing it for the first time it's not spoiled. Um, that is a kind of a holy shit moment. That was him. That wasn't just mm-hmm. another robot. That was him.
1: It was a big uh, reveal. I, it was a what kind of thing, like at the end I, of the thing. I remember the first time I saw it. And then when you, w- you watch it again, and there are moments when the robot seems to be doing judo moves as well, which we saw at the beginning of the episode, which are quite subtle, yeah. but they're there.
4: Yeah, there's very much a parallel between the Owen-David fight at the beginning and the Steel Clan-Goliath fight, you know, there toward, at the end on the Statue of Liberty. I was also relieved that we didn't actually destroy the Statue of Liberty the way we destroyed the Cloisters uh, a couple of episodes back. Just wiping yeah, but, out know, New York we,
3: one episode at a time. Yeah,
4: <laughs> I was just like, oh good, <laughs> a few scorch marks, but the statue is basically okay. Okay, all right. <laughs> For a change, we're not causing mass destruction. Some <laughs> great, uh, there was some, great, uh, there was some great
0: frame elements of the Statue of Liberty in the uh, in, in the fight where the her head was uh, framed into the bottom of the frame and, and on its side. There was some really beautiful
3: framing
1: in the show. Totally. And I love that the uh, fight takes place on the Statue of Liberty. It's almost fitting as the Gargoyles are in a way truly establishing their independence from Xanatos. But but circling back to the armor, one little detail on it that I always loved, which no one ever seems to talk about, it's a little thing. You didn't have to do it. That dial on the chest, it controls the air pressure in the suit. It's... uh, it makes total sense for that to be there. It wasn't something you had to do, but I appreciate it being there.
4: Yeah. I mean, I have no memory whatsoever. <laughs> that, that might've been Frank. Um, it might've been someone in Japan. I, uh, I, it might've been Michael Reeves. He might've put it in the script. I, I, I just, that's so long ago. That little detail, I don't cool little, you know, nugget. but I have no memory whose idea it was. Uh, although I'm fairly certain it wasn't mine. Because I would take credit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I really loved that Broadway got to shine in that fight. Yeah, like, it, he he took out both of those Steel Clan robots. You know, like t- he was just a real badass in the, in that whole fight.
4: Yeah, I mean, we tried to spread the wealth among the gargoyles. For I mean, Goliath's always sort of the, the biggest badass. Of Warrior of the bunch, but then among everybody else, we always tried to, you know, spread the wealth, spread the glory between them, and this felt like a Broadway's turn, Broadway's time, I guess. I
3: the the image of Brooklyn on the back of the Steel Clan robot getting electrocuted used to be the background of my computer for like forever. Nice. I absolutely like I don't know why I think people getting electrocuted is hilarious, but I do. And it was just so funny.
0: <laughs> oh, Jennifer, you reveal yourself yet again. <laughs>
3: it's, just, it's the funniest thing ever.
1: Yes, and the robots performed much better this time than they did in the Awakening Five-parter. I mean, that there was a lot more suspense to this fight than that one, and I just love it. And you learn so much about Xanatos here. I love the idea that... He, like Kaleitha says, he doesn't want to destroy them. He wants to dominate them. Why take these pieces off of the board when they could be useful to him?
3: And for Xanatos, uh, yeah. being able to use them, they may not even see him, but he could throw something their way that urges them the way that he needs them to go. Like, he's just that crafty.
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, that was always the idea is that, uh, you know, you, you kill something, it's gone. It's off the board. It's not a piece you can use anymore, for the most part. A few exceptions, I guess, Cold stones and exceptions. But uh, for the most part, you know, it's no longer useful. And Vanitas hates waste. Why would you waste it when I can manipulate it? Almost always successful at that.
0: Um, well, I think you'd get a shout-out on this episode is is um, Carl Johnson. The The music was spectacular. Yeah. Assuming that was his episode.
4: Yeah,
3: uh, Carl did all the music for every episode. So. It, it's fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic.
0: And during this period, was he able to re- record still with a with an orchestra? It sounds like a real orchestra.
3: It
4: was. Uh, what we did as a budget uh, saving measure is that uh, we recorded the first five episodes with an orchestra, and then we single out um, specific pieces of episodes. Um, one that I specifically remember was the previous episode. We created a theme for Macbeth in the episode we just did last night, um, but we didn't have the budget to fully score every episode. So we had a music editor, Mark Perlman who would take the library of music that um, Carl had you know, conducted with the orchestra, you know, composed and conducted with the orchestra. And he would, I mean, Mark was brilliant at using all the various pieces that Carl had done to fully score every episode, even if we didn't have, and I can't remember now if this was one that Carl did a chunk of, or uh, if this was one that he fully scored but I'd lay odds that this is probably one that Mark just found from what Carl had already done and scored it to picture by editing it to picture with Uh, existing cues. An incredible
0: craft done right.
4: Yeah. And, and we don't do it that way anymore. Nowadays, uh, the money saving is that we, you're almost uh, in television. That is, obviously different for like a feature film or something, but um, in animation and television, we do score every episode individually, um, but we're not really using a full orchestra. You know, they're using electronics to, to mimic a, the sound of an orchestra and it works yep. for the most part. And every once in a while, you know, you're like, okay, this instrument is really going to be featured, so we need someone to come in to play this one instrument. So the the drums and the horns and such and such and such and such are all going to be, you know, really synth. Uh But but hey, that guitar, this needs to really sound like guitar. You know, um, like not a good example is that a spectacular Spider-Man, um, where all the score was. Uh, synth except the guitar and Spider-Man was such a guitar-oriented show for Vic and I that we had Greg Herzenach come in and, uh, uh, not we, I should say the composers had Greg come in and, um, he did all the guitar, uh, live and for real for the show. So we had one musician and the rest was all for the most part synth. Um, but back in those days, in the Gargoyles days, the method was different. We did use a full orchestra. It's just we didn't have the money to score every episode individually. So our music editor, in essence, took those cues that existed and
3: worked magic and
4: repurposed them and worked magic. Yeah, really did an incredible job.
1: I love how this episode ends with... Everybody feeling victorious. is happy. Goliath has regained his confidence. He's in a much better mood, and Xanatos feels that he has regained his edge and accomplished so much. It's terrific.
3: It was a win-win for everyone. Everybody wins. Yeah. Everyone's cheering.
4: And what about Elisa and her new partner? Yeah, I think, you know, even that, you know, you sort of end with... Matt saying, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, which does, ultimately. Um, so it creates a problem for her. But you also have these great moments with Matt. Um, you know, there are times when he just comes across as a conspiracy nut or as someone who's simply going to be a problem for Elisa. But I do love that scene in the middle where Elisa's trying to run off without him. And she's yeah. like, I don't need a partner right now. And Matt says, yeah, I'm, my experience, those are the times when you need one the most.
0: That's a classic. And she
4: sort
0: of stops. Cop movie line, buddy movie line. Yeah, it's great.
4: She sort of stops and then she just says, "Get in," you know, get in the car. (laughs) Um,
3: A a little note uh, there when she says, "When she resigns, okay, get in," and she gets in the car. Kudos to the animation because the car actually dips as she sits in it, mm -hmm. where it could just static. (laughs) Dumb things I've referred
1: to. What? Are there any other uh, points in this episode because yeah. we, we haven't hit on yet? Probably. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Most definitely. I'm, we're gonna be done and we'll like be like, oh, we should have brought up such and such.
1: Well,
0: no, it's a well, episode uh, that you very very proud of, and I think the show still holds up.
1: Me too. I mentioned the animation earlier. I would throw the animation in this episode, especially up against anything that's being done for television, animation, re- weather, TV, or streaming today. It's gorgeous.
3: Uh, yeah,
4: you know, there's a lot of fun little things, I guess, that, uh, you know, I watched it last night again for the first time in a while. I took a few notes. Like, uh, I love that the scream is in there. <laughs> the <painting laughs> with, you know, munch. I, <laughs> munch is
3: you and me is both. Man. <laughs> yeah.
4: um, and uh, uh you know, the reference to Stranger in a Strange Land and the Dostoevsky joke, and it's just sort of like, seriously, it's like Reeves and I were just shameless about saying, hey, you guys should be educated. You uh, should <laughs> <laughs> be reading Heinlein and Dostoevsky and, and, and going to museums and stuff. It's great. Like,
0: Wasn't that, that was a great joke. Who wrote it? Michael, I'm sure.
3: <laughs>
0: <could hear. laughs> no, that's the, the punchline.
3: See That's the- yeah, See, You got you with your own punchline, man. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah, you did. <laughs> I forgot, yeah. Sorry, that took me a second.
1: <laughs> you were outwitted by Xanatos, Greg. All is right with the world. Again.
0: It was all because of the good hair.
1: <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, it, it, it's just this one was a lot of fun. And again, it planted a lot of seeds for, for stuff coming down the road. Some stuff that we did have planned, but also a lot of stuff that at that moment we didn't. Um, and uh, it was also just a kind of a great ensemble piece, you know? Um, I mean, this is definitely Zantos' episode, but you feel like, you know, you had Rachel Ticketton in there and, um, and Tom Wilson and, Charlie Hown Hall- and um, um, and then the rest of the regular cast, um Elisa has some great moments. It's just uh uh there's a nice sense of the world, I feel like, in this episode. Um, you know, that it's not just you know, four or five characters in a vacuum. Um, yeah. but you really feel like New York exists. And there, it's people and, and that kind of thing, and and uh, I like the world building in it. It, it just feels uh, rich, I guess, for lack of a better term. Feels lived uh, in, in mm-hmm. that sense. You even see uh, Elisa's brother is piloting the oh yes, he is, yeah, helicopter that uh, Elisa and Matt and Travis arrive in. Um, so. Uh, Derek. Yeah. This is brother, Derek Mazza is a pilot for the NYPD. And, and and clearly we knew that was coming because a, it's the next episode and B, um,
1: (laughs) two episodes uh, from now, we've got long way in between. Oh, yeah. Two episodes from now.
4: Uh, but, but B, obviously, you know, we wouldn't stick the brother in the pilot if we didn't have a plan for that. So it was just, uh, so it was just, again, just trying to keep the world populated, keep the world feeling real. Um, and, uh, that's just, that was fun for me last night. Cause my memory of all these things is pretty hazy. Um, cause it's been literally probably a few years since I've watched any of this stuff. What's
0: the, uh, what's the latest on the Gargoyles movie
4: rumor? Um, I, I mean, I, as far as I know, they're not doing one. Um, I had a brief uh, e-conversation with, um, oh my God, my brain doesn't work. Um, Jordan Peele? Yeah, Jordan Peele, thanks, sorry. Uh, Which was nice, um, but this is a few years ago now. And my sense of things is that he wanted to make the Gargoyles movie, and Disney didn't want to say no to him, but didn't want to make it. So they never actually said no, but they never actually let the – the thing progressed at all. That's
3: unfortunate. Um, I think you would have done a great job with
4: that. Yeah, it would have been very interesting. Um, that may have changed a little, um, but in though you know, we're talking about pre-pandemic, so this is like three years ago, four years ago, something, I don't know. And, you know, back then it was like, why would we make a movie based on a 90s cartoon show You know, know, to make a live-action Gargoyles movie would be expensive. Um, And why would we do that uh, when we can make another Star Wars movie or another Marvel movie, which we know is going to be a hit? Um, And Gargoyles is a big maybe for us. And so I don't know that that they're that firm about that now. You know, I I, I don't know if it's things are starting to change. I mean, the, the merchandise that's coming out, which is really cool for us Kiki fans, but I also think it's an indication that that sort of nostalgia wave of the nineties is sort of hitting. Um, and so, you know, maybe the time will come at some point, but, um, I don't know anything specific now. I mean, the last I heard anything about a movie was, uh, was um, yeah, the that Jordan Peele rumor, um, and uh, that was, like I said, three four years ago, um, and i have you know I'm constantly pitching gargoyles to Disney, so far they haven't taken the up on it, <laughs> but uh, um, the fact that it is now available on Disney Plus like, is a really good sign. I mean, in other words there's at least a way for fans to indicate their support. Like, for years, there was nothing a fan could do to show Disney that they'd spend money on the, on the property. And now, if they binge watch Wars on Disney+, Plus,
1: That's
4: numbers. Before, yeah. But yeah, those numbers, um, those could potentially make a difference to the powers that be at Disney and make them go, hmm, maybe there's something here that we should be doing something.
3: Well, you know us, we won't give up but mm-hmm.
1: there's nothing we would like more than to one day hear you voice David Xanatos again
0: you and me both you guys
3: <laughs> some revival where we get to hear that voice as David Xanatos again yes please or coyote if it's
1: 2198 <laughs> true true uh before we wrap up are there uh, any projects either of you would like to plug I'm doing uh,
0: Star Trek Picard. I directed a couple of episodes in both of the last two seasons. I'm up to uh, Toronto to do the new Star Trek, Strange New Worlds. And then cross town to the fifth season of Star Trek Discovery. So I'm up to my ass in Star Trek. At
3: the moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they're all doing extremely well. I'm They've definitely all got my attention right now.
0: Got it. You watched Picard. Did you see Q with
4: uh, Picard the other night?
3: Oh my gosh. Uh, no, I'm, I'm trying to finish.
4: We're trying to finish. Beth and I are trying to finish Discovery first, and there's one more episode of Discovery left to drop. Uh, oh, so yeah. We're waiting on that before we start Picard. So don't give too much away here. Please. All right.
1: I'll we'll get keep to it to ourselves. I'll get to it Apologize. soon. I can, but I will say that for season one, I was really happy to see you and uh, Marina reprise your roles. And do those pizzas taste any good?
2: <laughs>
0: that was so great to get back. I was intimidated to go back. I hadn't acted in about ten years, so it was. Uh, and I had just finished a couple of episodes with Patrick, so I knew he was at the top of his game. And Marina had just closed in a play the west end in london so i was i was afraid i was going to get buried by my friends but i michael Shay talked me the script early and i was able to prepare so it was it was like putting on slippers
3: or pajamas or whatever you know, were, it's what's funny a, a friend of mine who is all things star trek he is such a star trek fan he has no idea we're talking to with you today he is going to freak out but he was he was talking about picard um, and he was like, last season seeing them all together, it felt like coming home. <laughs> he was just yeah. so like <laughs> emotional it about it.
4: Cool. Okay, but I I want to know more about your kid, Deanna and Will's kid. Right? I was like, yeah, I was like, they've got a kid. You know?
0: We have two kids. <laughs> one of one, one the of them died.
3: Yeah,
0: I know. Uh, we'll do that in the origin story. I just,
3: we didn't we we, the, we didn't want to break it up, but okay.
0: <laughs> the Rikers the Rikers in space. You guys have been a real uh, pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank Absolutely. you.
3: Absolutely
1: it was a pleasure. I enjoyed
3: you having you here and appreciate your patience with the, everything. I'm
1: sorry, <laughs> about the, I'm sorry about the pre show.
3: And uh you know, I hope the, we had fun. the entire uh rotation works out for you.
0: Yeah,
1: thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and, Gr- and Greg, uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug for early May?
4: Uh, well, if it's May, then we're in the middle of uh, the second half of the fourth season of Young Justice. is dropping weekly on Thursdays on HBO Max. And it's not too late to get uh, the movie Catwoman Hunted, which features Jonathan Frakes as King That's Faraday. Right. right. Uh, and Keith David. Um, and Keith David. That's right. Uh, and uh, Elizabeth Gillies as Catwoman, and Stephanie Beatriz as Batwoman. It's uh, it turned out really great. I didn't produce it; I wrote it, but I didn't uh, produce it. Um, but I was really happy with how it turned out, and uh, um, and it was great. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't be there for any of the recording. Did you record? Yours, pre-pandemic or post-pandemic? Do you remember?
0: Pre-pandemic,
4: pre-pandemic. pre-pandemic. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't able to be there for that, and I missed um, I missed out on not being able to uh, uh, see everybody. But um, I was really thrilled with how it turned out. And Jamie Thomason obviously directed that. Um, did a terrific job as always. Um, But don't tell him I said that because it'll go to his head.
3: Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah.
4: (laughs) And uh, um, so that's available. uh, So you can get that digitally
1: or on Blu ray. And uh, so please do. And keep engine guardwells and keep engine YJ. Definitely. Yes.
4: Yes, please.
1: All right. I want to thank everyone involved tonight. I want to thank our listeners. Jen, thank you, as usual, for being a great partner in crime. Greg, thank you for everything you do. And Jonathan, thank you for coming. <laughs> we really appreciated it. <laughs> I said early on this when we started.
3: This was a good time. This was a good time, guys. <laughs>
1: yes, it was. I said early on when we started, getting Jonathan Frakes would take an act of God. That was my <laughs> cynicism at work. And you know what? <laughs> Maybe it was. And he <laughs> smiled upon us. <laughs> But thank you. thank you. Thank you so much. Peace out. All Peace right, take out. care guys. And join us next time for Long Way to Morning. <laughs>
4: won't get anywhere.